Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day one is at troy.edu slash lead change. From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. In part two of our visit last Thanksgiving to the Florence, Alabama home designed by architect Frank Lloyd Wright, site director Jeff Ford tells us about the Rosenbaum family who lived there. Jeff, walking through this house, there are some narrow walkways, hallways. They remind me of Pullman cars. Was that an influence in his design thinking? Yeah, Wright can be applauded for always being pro-American in his thought, you know, that the Americans came up with the best ideas and the Americans had the best this and the best that. And one of the things that he thought the Americans had the best of was the Pullman rail cars. He admired their efficiency. They are good old Midwest corporation and write really to the point of jingoism about Midwestern values, American values. So he really admired the efficiencies of the Pullman rail cars. Can you talk a little bit about the family that lived here, the Rosenbaums, and how this house came to be? Sure. An amusing thing to me is that the Rosenbaums themselves always considered themselves, uh, as far as we know, typical Alabamians. They liked Alabama. They liked living here, but they were not typical (laughs) in any fashion. Uh, First off, the fact that this house or the land this house stands on and the money to construct this house were a wedding gift to its owners, Stanley and Mildred Rosenbaum, from Stanley's parents. Stanley Rosenbaum's father, Louis Rosenbaum, was an entrepreneur They had moved to the area with the construction of Wilson Dam, which was the largest construction project in the nation at the time. It was taking place right here in the Shoals. Louis Rosenbaum came here to open motion picture theaters. So they moved to the area from the Denver area. Uh, Stanley was his only son and worked with him or for him from age 13 up until 1960 when they sold the theater chain. Now, when he was a younger man, Stanley had decided to put his Harvard English degree to use, move to New York City, and become a writer. I like to say that fate sometimes steps in, and in this case, her name was Mildred Buchholz. Stanley meets Mildred there in New York City. She was a New York City native, a fashion model, a concert pianist, and an expert textile weaver. And in fact, this runner that was woven by Mildred Rosenbaum. On the table here. here, Yes. So they meet in New York. They date, as we would say today, long distance until she completed her undergraduate degree. They were married in Cincinnati by her brother-in-law, who was a prominent rabbi in the area. They traveled out west for a honeymoon. They traveled to Cuba for a honeymoon because you could still do it legally in those days. Uh, And when they arrived back here in the Florence area, they were at first offered to simply, we'll purchase a house for you. When they couldn't find anything that suited their modern and progressive taste, then came the idea of building. So that's how the house gets to be built here. And how did they settle on Frank Lloyd Wright? That's the other part of the story. So Stanley doing what I think every young person would do, he reached out to somebody that he thought 
knew something more than he did. He just happened to have a friend who was studying architecture. And he asked his friend to take a break, come home, advise them, or even better, actually design a house for them. And when their friend Aaron Green was unable to come up with a design that they either liked or probably felt like they could afford, because this was very early in Aaron's career, Aaron decided to step out of the picture. And that's when uh, they asked him to uh, recommend another architect. And Aaron Green, who was a great admirer of Wright's and was a wannabe apprentice of Wright's, had told them, why don't you just hire Frank Lloyd Wright? He's come up with something new, the Usonian-style house, something I think you would like. So that's the story. How big is this house? As it stands, 2,200 square feet. Now, the original construction was an L-shaped building of around 1,500 square feet, three bedrooms, two bathrooms. Today, we have approximately 2,200 square feet, five sleeping areas, three bathrooms. Jeff, if you will comment on the state of the economy when Wright was designing the Usonian houses and the tiny house movement today. So that is one of the greatest similarities between the Usonian house and the tiny house movement. They were both conceived of during harder economic times, and as in often cases, the hardest hit were the young people and they might not feel that they can afford a home, so they look for unique opportunities and unique things. Wright understood that, and one of the main factors about these homes was in the earliest days was to keep them affordable, and so he chooses, literally chooses, materials that were on the lower side of being expensive. I mean, this house is constructed out of brick, concrete, glass, plywood, which was a brand new building material. The only thing that would have been expensive is the cypress wood, but it was chosen because of its durability. Now today, we have building products that are treated against our friends, the termites here in Alabama. They didn't have those things, and cypress is naturally resistant to insect and rot. The furniture, was it the original furniture to the house? It's all part of the package. Wright would uh, advise clients. I know when I was in school, one of the things we were told in history classes was that the Great Depression was caused by the, for the first time in American history, easy credit, where people could just put some down and pay for it later, and that all fell apart. So Wright would tell his clients, don't waste your money on furniture. Keep it for more important things like your kid's education. I'll give you everything you should need in a house. And that includes the unusual plywood furniture. And color scheme, I see yellow, I see the turquoise. You will always see similar colors in all of these Usonian houses, so those are Wright's choices. When Wright designs a building, he designs the building itself, he designs the furniture, he designs the decorative elements to the house, and one of the most prominent places you'll see it is right above your head. That pattern is unique to this house. Each Wright building gets its own unique design. That's incredible. How many Wright houses are left, to your knowledge? I would say at least 500. 
And that includes all three of his former residences. Is this the only one in Alabama? It is the only one in Alabama. It is one of the very few in the Southeast. Today, it's the only one that you can visit on a regular basis. Now, we have two neighbors coming up soon. I hope they will be open to the public. So uh, tell your listeners to keep an eye out or an ear out, in this case, for the Shaven House, which is in Chattanooga and for the Spring House, which is located in Tallahassee. So where can people find out more about the Rosenbaum House? The best place and the easiest place for them to go to is our website. It is called writeinalabama.com. W-R-I-G-H-T, Write in Alabama. We enjoy having visitors. We enjoy them. They're from all over the world. I would like to see more visitors from Alabama. Uh, we're tucked up here in the northwest corner, so sometimes we get missed by the, the rest of the state. So uh, come see us. Thank you so much for your hospitality, Jeff. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was site director Jeff Ford at the Rosenbaum House, designed by famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright in Florence, Alabama. More information can be found at the website writeinalabama.com. Thanks for joining us today for In Focus, which is now a podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.